Our sermon passage today is Exodus 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Belsiphon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took six hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pehiharoth in front of Belsiphon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that have followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. 
Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, would you take these words which you have spoken, which are true, which represent real events in the life of your people, and would you cause us to receive them and to believe them, to be shaped by them, to find faith and hope in you because of what you have done and believing that you are the same God today as you were then and you forever will be. Help us, O oh God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's really good to see you guys all this morning. If um, <clears throat> you haven't already, please take a Bible and turn over to Exodus 14, where Emmy just read for us. Um, we're working our way through the book of Exodus. If you're our guest today, um, we've kind of just been going straight through, and here we are in chapter 14. But chances are, this is the, this is the story we all know, right? Like if I said to America at large, like tell me what you know about the book of Exodus. Like you got the Passover, you got the Red Sea, and you got the Ten Commandments, right? And so here we are at the Red Sea story. Now here's what I want you to hear right out of the gate. The story that you've always heard, assuming it goes like this, God's people were trapped against the sea. They didn't know where to go or how they would get out. And God miraculously delivered them through a deep body of water and destroyed their enemies. That's true. That's what the story tells us. And there's nothing in there today that I plan to say to cast any shadow of doubt upon any of that. That's the story. The main actor over and over and over is God did it, God did it, God did it, God did it. Why? So that his people would trust him and he would receive fame for being the defender of his people. That's it, that's it. The main point this morning is that God delivered his people so that they would trust he alone is their deliverer and so that the world would know the God of Israel fights for his people. That's the message. What does that mean for us? The God of Israel is the father of Jesus and he fights for his people. And we can trust that today. He fights for his people so that he'll receive glory and so that we'll trust him today. So let's look at the story together and we'll see what we can figure out. Now, the Lord's made two different types of people. You got your fact types and your artistic types, right? So, so fact types, can I see a show of hands? Fact types, okay. Chapter 14 is for you. This is the, the detailed, orderly, narrative telling of the events. Artistic types, let me see your hands. I know there are some of you in here. Okay. Chapter 15 is for you. It is the the literary, poetic, worshipful telling of the events. So we have two weeks to consider the events. Today, in the more historical, factual, theological manner, we'll cover the more historical, factual, theological part of the story. So if you want to take notes, here's the first point. Learning to follow. Learning to follow. Look back. At chapter 13, verse 21. Chapter 13, verse 21. 
says, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Now, here's what you need to understand. In chapter 13, in retrospect, we've been given truths to help us understand rightly what's happening in this story. But the people of Israel didn't get a a five-day seminar on how to follow the cloud. There, There wasn't a Sunday evening training session to help them learn how to follow the cloud. They just were delivered on the evening of the Passover and Moses said, the cloud is the presence of the Lord, follow the cloud. So they were learning to follow the cloud on the go. That's the important thing to note here. They were learning to follow the Lord as his people, as a new nation, as those free from Egypt. And humanly speaking, it's just not starting well. I mean, think about this. Chapter 13 told us that there was a short, succinct, well-developed path to the promised land, but the cloud went the other way. So they followed the cloud the other way. And then chapter 14, verse 1 tells us that they got a little bit down the long way. Maybe they're trying to, okay, maybe the the cloud knows what it's up to. And then the Lord tells the people, hey, turn back. Go, Go back a little bit and then stop and build camp, okay? So from a human perspective, this whole following the cloud thing, it's not starting very well. We're going to go the long way. Before we get out of Egypt, like we're still in their territory, we're still under their authority. Before we can get out, the cloud's going to tell us to turn back and then to stop. And then, hey, cloud, do you realize that right over there is the sea? And, and, and we're kind of stuck, like, like we're kind of trapped. Like this thing is not getting off to the best of human starts. And so as the people begin To realize this, the Lord tells Moses, he kind of doubles down in verses 3 and 4. And he says, yeah, I, I know I'm sending you the long way. And I know that I'm telling you to turn around. And I know that I'm telling you to stop. And I know that in so doing... Egypt might decide to pursue you, but actually I'm using you to bait the hook. I want Egypt to pursue you. But trust me, I know what I'm doing. I mean, so so humanly speaking, who's here to sign up for this endeavor? Well, what the passage tells us is Israel wasn't excited about it either because they stopped, they turned back, they stopped, they encamped. Pharaoh and the the Egyptians um, realize what they've done. They see them stopped and they re-engage the pursuit of the Israelites with full vigor. Here comes the whole army. And so this leads to the first crisis in this whole learning to follow the cloud thing. Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, 
The Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Counselors call that catastrophizing. We're going to die. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Just to be clear, if you're not familiar with the story of Exodus, that's a lie. It's called blame shifting. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. So we've come to the crisis. Egypt's coming. We're certainly going to die. Moses, you set us up. And we just would have been better to stay in Egypt all along. So our, our first steps in this foray of learning to follow the Lord has the, the Israelites doubting God, doubting Moses, doubting their future, and, and readying themselves to die. And into this moment, the Lord speaks through Moses, and this is what he says. Learn to look to me. Because I will deliver you. Look at verse 13. Moses said to the people, fear not. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I can tell you why the Bible says fear not. Because they were afraid. And you would have been afraid too. I would have been afraid. Stand firm. Why stand firm? Because they wanted to flee. They wanted to go back. Give in, surrender. No, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. And you have only to be silent. So do you hear what's being said here? Don't flee, don't yield, look to the Lord and watch the Lord fight for you. That is the invitation, that is the good news spoken into the fear and the doubt and the anxiety and the struggle of the, Egyptian, of the Israelites as they wondered where this thing was going. The purpose of the Red Sea, the purpose of the event was to teach God's people to look to him for deliverance, to teach God's people to trust him when all human reasoning fails to teach God's people that what makes them unique in all the earth is the Lord's defending of them. It's God's power at work through Israel, which makes Israel unique. And the Lord has orchestrated this providential turn of events to teach this to his people, to show it to the Egyptians that the world will know the God of Israel fights for his people. This event 
is the Lord's way of showing his people how to trust him as they learn to follow him. It was a gift and a grace and a preparation for what is to come. Now, let's do a little present tense application of this point before we move on to the second point. Thinking about these first 18 verses and thinking about, I'm sorry, the first 14 verses and thinking about what is going on here, I want us to consider a few things. One, I want us to consider the interplay between fear and trust. What the Israelites were experiencing in this story is a normal human response to experiencing what they were experiencing. And I don't believe for a second that their fear was inherently sinful. The question for Israel and the question for us is what do we do with our fear? Fear was the context for Israel to learn faith. Fear was the seedbed where faith grew. God wanted to teach Israel to look to him in the moments of fear. We might say that faith is God's gift to his people for the context of fear or the context of doubt or the context of anxiety or the context of disbelief or the context of struggle. And I push this because A, I think it's in the text, and B, because I feel like in 2020, the church has accidentally created an overly simple narrative that says faith and fear can never be together. I hope I'm not talking about Redeemer. I'm talking about the church at large. And I think it's really important to see that, no, fear is human. The question is, what do we do with our fear? And when we run to the Lord in our fear and cry out to him, that is faith. And that is trust. And that is what the Lord desires from us. Second, the Lord is orchestrating these events so that the Israelites would learn to trust him for their deliverance. He wants them to learn to quickly seek him. Trust him. Look to him. Friends, if we could learn anything today, as the people of Jesus, as those who belong to God by faith in Christ, let's learn to see the difficult movements of providence in our lives and in our world as the training ground to learn to trust the Lord. 
And I don't say that glibly, and I don't say that lightly. I, I say that from a place of fatigue, a place of weariness, a place of struggle, a place of, of how long, O oh Lord. And I suspect that in many different ways, that's where all of us are. God's providential work in his world for his people extends all the way into the hardship. And let's, let's attune our hearts to learn to run to him. How many of us have said something like this? I do a pretty good job of, of crying out to the Lord when life's hard, but I tend to forget when life's good. Anybody fall into that rut? Yeah, of course. In the hardship, we learn to run to the Lord, but in all of our lives, let us learn to depend upon him and to trust him and to look to him and to cry out to him. Let that be our first impulse. Oh Lord, would you stir that in us? Third, the passage says nothing about prayer. But as I think about what do we need to take away from this passage? What does Jamie Mosley need to take away from this passage? It's pray, 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 pray. If I could have unbroken access to your thought life, gosh, that's a scary thought, isn't it? If I could have unbroken access to your thought life, I'm pretty certain what I would see is when, when all my efforts have failed, I will pray. And that's the mentality that I think the Israelites were taking up here is, is when all else has failed, let's just go back to Egypt, right? When all of my human endeavors are done, I'll turn to the Lord. What if... We looked at this story and we, we heard the, the cry of the Lord, I'm going to work for you. All you got to do is watch and said, I want that in my life. I want that in my family. I want that, in, I want that to be true of Redeemer Church. Like we're the people who are quick to cry out to the Lord and quick to ask him to work and quick to celebrate when he does. Just because we ask doesn't mean that he has to, but there's so much that the scripture is heaped up about no God is like our God who works for those who wait for him. Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest, meaning you can trust me. The, the book of Romans tells us that when we cry out, our prayers are answered because of Christ, that Jesus and the Spirit are interceding on our behalf. Man, what hope to run to the Lord. What a way to attune our hearts to trust the Lord by being quick to cry out to him. Fourth, The passage tells us that they learned to follow the Lord on the go. They learned to follow the Lord in following the Lord. You might say, well, okay, big deal, pastor. What's the point? We as Americans, this is how we're hardwired to learn everything. Sign up for a seminar or take a class, right? Take notes, Ask good questions. 
When the seminar's over, write down two or three things that you want to take away from the seminar. Forget that you took the seminar. And then when hardship comes around, be mad that the seminar didn't work. That's how we as Americans learn things, right? But that's not how the people of God in the Bible are taught to follow the Lord. The Lord looked at Abraham and said, hey, I'm gonna make you a great nation. Let's go, right? Let's go. To the Israelites, he said, kill the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, death's gonna pass over, and tomorrow morning you're going to go. And here they are in the wilderness learning to trust the Lord in the crucible of trusting the Lord. Now, let's not just leave that in the past tense. How did Jesus build a following. He didn't open a rabbinic school, but he said, leave everything and come follow me and I'll teach you on the way. Following the Lord is learned as we follow the Lord. I'm all about education. I'm all about classes. I'm all about material. But, but listen, Americans, If you want to learn to pray, I would suggest you start by praying, no matter how much you fumble in that. If you want to learn to read the scripture, I would suggest just open the Bible and start reading, no matter how difficult it might be. If you want to learn to love your neighbor as yourself, go knock on a neighbor's door and say, hey, my name's Jamie. It's really nice to meet you. I hope we can be friends and just see what the Lord might do. You'll probably mess it up. You'll probably take them a pie that tastes terrible, but the Lord will work through all of that. You want to learn how to do evangelism? Just start talking about Jesus outside of this building and you'll stumble and you'll fumble and you'll mess it up, but we learn as we go. You want to learn to be a better spouse? Just go home and start being nicer to your spouse and start praying to the Lord for help. And if you're looking at your spouse shaking your head right now, I'm talking to you. You want to learn to do your work better to the glory of God? Show up tomorrow morning and say, everything that I do today is as unto the Lord. And when you feel like a failure by 10 o'clock, welcome to the club. But this is how we learn. The kingdom is learned in following Jesus. It's it's a learn-as-you-go kingdom. And really, the book of Exodus is a huge manual in a huge story of them learning as they went, right? The gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are a huge story of people learning as they went. The epistles are stories of churches learning as they went. So, To sit around and wait till you figure it all out before you do it is a great way to never do it. Let's just follow Jesus. We'll figure it out. If you fail, welcome to the club. All this drives then to the the second point, which is the main point, our defender. What we're told in verses 15 through 31 is God, as the primary actor, definitively delivers Israel and destroys Egypt to show his power to the Israelites so that they would have a faith in him and to the Egyptians so that they would know that the Lord fights for his people. That's what's going on. 
Verses 15 through 18, God gives a promise to his people, deliverance is coming, and he gives instructions. Verses 19 through 20, this is one of my favorite things. They've been following the cloud, then they've camped around the cloud, and now the the Egyptians are coming at them hard and fast. And we're told in verses 19 and 20 that the cloud, which is the angel of the Lord, which is the presence of God, moves between Israel and Egypt and makes a wall, a shield, and a visual barrier of protection for the Israelites that they may go into the sea and be delivered. The Lord defended his people by being a barrier between them. Verse 21, God parted the Red Sea. The Red Sea, a deep body of water such that when he parted it, there were walls, high walls on both sides. He caused a wind, a hot, dry wind to stir up and dry the ground out to make a dry pathway through the sea, through the walls of water. And Israel, we're told in verse 22, walked through on dry ground. Then we're told in verse 23 that the Egyptians followed But the Lord threw them into a panic and he had made the ground just dry enough that people and animals could get across it, but chariots would bog down and get stuck. And in the midst of all of that, verse 25, it says that the Egyptians saw the Lord fighting for Israel and said, we have to get out of here. And then verses 26 through 28 the Lord had the walls of water released and they swept away the Egyptian army and all the bodies were floating in the sea. Summary, verse 28. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, they believed in the Lord, and in his servant Moses. Do you see what happened here? The Lord definitively, powerfully, miraculously, and truly showed himself as the defender of his people. His people trusted him. His people obeyed him. His his people followed him. And the nations knew that the Lord fights for his people. That's what's playing out here. Now, as we conclude... Two final points of takeaway here in this section. One, there has been a lot of movement within the last 100 years to question the historicity and the, of this story and the miraculous nature of it. And I would just say to we Christians of good faith that there is plenty of evidence to support the huge, miraculous work that our God did. Yes, we don't know the exact point for crossing the Red Sea, 
But we know that there was enough water in the sea parted on both sides to destroy an army when it was set upon them. The text tells us that there was enough water that the bodies were floating and floating up onto the shore. We know this is a huge miracle. Also, the text uses the word for sea, Y-A-M, yam, which is not used anywhere for little swamps, little marshes, or little mudflats. It's used for large bodies of water. There is a miraculous activity being undertaken by God for the good of his people, and we can joyfully celebrate its miraculous nature. If you want to dig deeper into that, buy me lunch, we can talk about it, okay? Second point. The passage tells us that the Lord defeats the enemies of his people. Now, we're not Israel. We're the people of Jesus. The Lord fights for the people of Jesus. The Lord is just as committed to the people of Jesus as he was to Israel, the nation, in this narrative. Lord, would you teach us to believe that you fight for your people, to trust you to fight for us, to lean into you and to look to you. Now, if we're going to do this, we must learn to differentiate God's enemies from my enemies. We must learn to differentiate God's work for his kingdom from my desires for my life. But as much as we're talking about God's enemies, God's kingdom, God's work, and the things God has promised to do, we can trust that he will fight for his people. Now, I mentioned that we are in an election week, okay? We currently stand in Ward 5 of the city of Hendersonville. I have no idea who's running for election in Ward 5. None whatsoever, okay? If you go across the street to the ministry center, you're in Ward 4. Who knew? It's crazy. We're in all the wards. None of that matters. But here's the point. What you can't do is say, I voted for Tom, so Sue is God's enemy, and I'm going to pray imprecatory psalms against Sue. That's not how it works. You can't say, that person cut me off in traffic, and so that's my enemy, and that's God's enemy, and I'm going to pray in precatory song. We don't get to decide who God's enemies are, but as much as God has promised, it is God who will defend and protect and bless his people. And, and I would just call on us to learn to believe that. I mentioned in our prayer earlier my friends in the former Soviet Union who are currently being gathered up and arrested right now. I got to talk to some of them last week. And here's what we're praying for one another, which is crazy that they're praying this for me, except it probably means that I need it as much. But we're praying Psalm 28, verse seven. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song, I give thanks to the Lord. What I'm praying is that, that I and my friends across the world would know that the Lord is their strength, even when they can't be strong. 
and the Lord is their shield. He's the one who will protect them even when they don't know how they'll be protected and they can trust him and be helped by him and worship him and praise him. Man, that's what I want us to take out of this Exodus narrative. So Lord, I pray that you'd come and you would drive these truths home in your people. I pray that you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen.